Hello and welcome to episode 815 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Tuesday, June 2nd. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Justin Mason. Justin, good morning, sir. Good morning. Do we have baseball yet? No, we do not. Uh-uh. However, things may be uh, moving. I was going to say progressing. I don't know if it's progress, but they may be moving. By the way, do I, do I faintly hear a lawnmower in the background? Is, is Kyle Gibson in your neck of the woods? Nope. Oh, okay. Then I must be hearing things. I thought maybe. Because he could travel around and, and cut grass wherever he wants at this point. But um, no, I think uh, there is uh, some movement toward like a 50-game season. If only because it, it, it includes prorated salaries, which again, you cannot convince me that every proposal shouldn't just be their salary for however many games they play. Mm-hmm. So stupid. But this is the first one that, that actually has that. However, it seems that the union thinks that, like I do, that a 50-game season is stupid. And I do think I, that. I, um, I think this is like this is like a fantasy trade where um, someone offers something really stupid and the other person counters with something stupid but on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, and eventually we're going to meet in the middle at 80-something games. Um, I think that's what's ultimately going to happen. Or, or it'll be something like 100 games, but they get the 80-game prorated pay. Uh, so, like, I, I, this is, I mean, this is, like, a lot of posturing, but, like, the deadline, if they want to start by July 4th, is going to be this week. So I, I think, I'm hoping mm-hmm. by the time we record on Thursday that this is uh, figured out. Yeah, I, I really hope that that we're really pushing towards something. Because, like you said, the clock is actually ticking now, you know? And and the posturing has to stop. So, I'm hoping for some action. I am not... I am not uh, keen on a 50-game season. Particular for anything, anything, um, clo- anything close to a high stakes fantasy league, I'm not interested in a, in, a, in a 50 game season for that. I'll still play fantasy, but I'm not sure I'm playing anything over a certain certain dollar amount for 50 games, dude. Like the the easiest one that people throw around, the the most jarring one is that Washington was 19 and 31. To give you an idea of what you know, what can happen in fifty games, but I'm sure there's countless others that we could do regarding, like uh, you know, where where players were last year after fifty games, or take out you know any rolling fifty game sample and and kind of show like you know how uh, how skewed things can be, and you start to think like. Dude, 50 games is going to be wild. It'll be a different game, and it really will kind of get fantasy baseball into like a fantasy football mindset of the draft. I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it takes on less importance because I think a lot of your work starts to happen on the waiver wire, and you have to act so fast with things where you're looking at a bad series from a uh, later round guy might be grounds for cutting him. You know, a four game set where he only 
played one game and you thought he was going to be more of a full-time player, you're like, well, dang, I got to make a move on that guy. So things would be so compacted in like a 50-60 game season. How do you feel about it from a fantasy perspective? How how interested would you be in in, in playing such a thing? Um, I think I would still play the main event. Uh, <laughs> I was joking around with some of the, some guys in the industry, and they were like, I don't know that I would pay 50 game, you know, 50 game main event. And, you know, it's just, I think it's funny that there are people in the industry who are like, I, I would not play a 50 game season. I, I would draw, you know, my remaining money and all that and stuff like that. But then they're going to promote DFS content. Um, that's a little different. Is it really? Yeah. I mean, eh. are you paying, unless you're paying $1,700 for DFS entry. Some of them are. That's very rare. And those aren't the same people that aren't playing a 50 game season. I don't know. I I, I mean, I, I, I'll I still play. The there's obviously, I, I I think obviously there's going to be a lot more variance, and um, over the course of a full season, we see you know we see the players that uh, are going to be better. Um, you know, break out of slumps in a 50 game season. You know, Joey Gallo could lead the league in like every offensive stat category. Um, and so, yes, there'd be a lot more variance. I'm still going to play like I, you know, uh, I'm still going to play, but I'm not playing a main event. Like I just see my money's already in there and I'm just not going to pull it out. Like I'm going to support what like Tom and Tom and Greg do over at NFBC. I, but I I also don't have a problem on that, but it, it has nothing to do with like support. Like this is not an anti them thing. It's, it's. A negative EV play with seventeen hundred dollars that like you know I can afford in the context of I can put it in for a full season I earn that money via the black book specifically to play the main event but for fifty games dude like am I, is my skill even coming through it's a, it's already an uphill battle in the main hey, event given the, stop, the quality of competition. Stop what? trying to put an asterisk on my main event championship. Like it's <laughs> there would be the largest asterisk you ever. As, as Scott Jenstead said on, on Twitter, hey, it still comes with that check, right? So I was about to say the money would still spend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if I did win it, I would, you know, I'll gladly take the asterisk because there's no such thing as an asterisk on money mm-hmm. that I would have. So I, I get that and. I'm not, I don't begrudge anybody that would play, and I, I and I, I don't begrudge anybody that wouldn't. Like, I, if someone doesn't want to play the main event, or I mean, really any you know amount of money league, uh, like I totally understand. Like, it is. It's going to be a much different season than we're used to. Uh, if there is, if there's 50 games, but like, how much different is 50 games from 80 games? I mean, I, I guess you can make the argument it's what the three eighths different, um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm still I'm still doing it. I'll be interested to see how it goes, and I will have fun in other leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Here, here's a question for you though: If I mean, obviously we're going to get a shorter season, even if it's you know, I think it was 112 games is what the the players offered. Uh, you know, even if we were to get a 112 game season, if you have the opportunity to redraft a league, should you? Only if everyone agrees. It has to be unanimous. Because I've been getting some some uh, inquiries in the Barf League, 
where they they go, hey, let's you know, a few of them want to redraft. If if, if there's one holdout, you can't do it. That, and that's how I feel. It it has to be full. Like you cannot be a commissioner who just enacts it. Mm-hmm. Like don't 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 be that, y'all. Don't see this as an opportunity to make up on your draft and and force your league to do it. That's uh, that that that's that's problematic. We can't have that. I'm definitely not redrafting TGFBI. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> if, if the full league doesn't agree, then it's a no go. P- plain and simple. Um, but if everyone is okay with it and wants to do it, that's fine. And maybe you keep the other league as like a separate thing and see how that goes. Like maybe we put it into, um, you know, if you play, like let's say you play a pay, you do like a premium fan track, so you pay CBS for your main league. Take the first draft, put it into a free Yahoo or ESPN. Just to see how it runs out, that'd be kind of fun, mm-hmm. right? Just input those rosters. You're not managing them, so it's not like a full uh, test of of how good anyone was. But it's a uh, it's a it'd be fun to kind of have that. And then when you do the new league, you put it into the into the main thing. So no, but it, it has to be has to be full unanimous. There can be no budging on that whatsoever, as far as uh, whether or not you redraft a league that's already drafted with the new season. So all right. As we move on here, because we'll, we'll keep stay, staying updated on, on this, we'll talk about it again on Thursday if, if stuff moves. What's your, uh, what are your thoughts? What if I'm putting you to the test of tell me what you think is going to happen? What is your best guess of what we get? I, I think we're going to get like an 82 game season, 81 game okay. season. I, I think something like that. I, th- I think, I think they're going to meet in the middle somewhere. Uh, I think it's possible that we do get like a hundred game season and they, you know, but they get the prorated like uh, 80 game pay. So that way, you know, or there's lots of deferrals or something like that. So the owners aren't hit hard right now uh, on things, but it's going to get worked out. I I really do believe now, do we get a full season? Because uh, in terms of like when the season, well, no, I mean, in terms of like, will we finish the season that I don't know. And oh, I, because well, yeah, because we don't know what happens, and that, and that's why I think the happens. yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why the the owners really balked at uh, at the players' offer was you know they they wanted to play you know through October for the regular season and start the playoffs in November and have an expanded playoffs, uh, and I think the owners are very afraid of like what that would necessarily mean. Uh, in terms of if there is a second wave, I think they they would much rather end the season early than actually uh, extend it. So, but mm-hmm. I I, th- I think they'll figure it out. I think there's gonna be a lot of double headers involved, and uh, we'll have you know a half season that of baseball starting me. next month. That that really intrigues me. Um, scheduled double headers mm-hmm. because I don't think I, I've been alive for any. Like uh, where they were on the schedule, I forget when it stopped, but I, I don't even think it was in the early '80s when I wasn't, you know, when I was alive, but not cognizant of of sports in like you know '82, '83, whatever. Um, I think that's a bygone thing of the '60s, maybe '70s, where they would have some. I think they were like Sunday double headers. Um, that'd be interesting, though. That'd be that'd be a lot of fun to see. Um, you know, we've heard all this stuff about like taxi squads and and you know, 70 players that you're carrying all this sort of stuff, or uh, excuse me, 50 players with like 30 actives. Mm-hmm. 
So it, it'd be wild. And that, like, again, I'm down to play fantasy. It's just not the higher stakes. All right, let's move on. Because, I mean, a, uh, let, let's, I mean, just real quick, something we talked about during my panel at PitchCon uh, on Sunday was, like, that changes, like, if we're playing, let's say, a doubleheader every week, each team's playing a doubleheader every week on Sunday or something like that, um, like, that changes the amount of projected starters for the week, especially if there's fewer yep. days off. And you're gonna, like, we've had, you know, the last few years where they've kind of expanded the schedule over the course of more days, so there's less two-start pitchers, there'd be more two-start pitchers. Um, yeah. And if you can identify what teams are going to do, you know, fewer bullpen games and do more two-start pitchers, uh, I think that uh, that is going to be a huge advantage in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That could absolutely uh, give you an advantage there. So, all right, let's uh, move on to our main topic today. We've got some fun posi- or player battles here that, that you put together and... I'm going to find my sheet there. Sorry, I lost them. Uh, we got some fun player battles here. We're kind of going in ADP order. Um, these are recent as of what? Do, do you remember what your cutoff was for the ADP? Uh, it was from, I believe, April 1st on. Perfect. That's Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the measure I've been using whenever I've been uh, doing anything recently as far as looking at ADP. That's, that's 61 drafts if you did the online championship. So that's a real healthy... Uh, a real healthy group of of drafts there. So let's start at the top with this big battle between Alex Bregman and Fernando Tatis Jr. Now, one thing I want to ask you before you answer this on on who you who you want to take is are you of the mindset that that others are and I I, I think I am. I th- I think I I think this is where I come out that the the delay is going to remove some of that heat off off the Astros. P- people yes. just don't care as much. Absolutely, I, I think and, it's it's kind of already been somewhat forgotten. Obviously, it'll, uh, it'll flare up a bit. Yeah, but it won't, I don't think it'll be rabid. And I gotta be honest, I wasn't particularly concerned for Bregman anyhow. But if you carry that concern. I think it should be lessened. Mm-hmm. There'll be some signs. There'll be some goof goofing and whatnot. People will be getting after him a little bit, but I don't think it'll be anywhere near the vitriol and nonstop. Uh, well, and we won't know, have fans. Like, oh yeah, that's true. We might not even have fans. Yeah, Has any of these proposals included fans? No, I, I don't think they're okay. expecting to have fans at the earliest of the postseason. So okay, well, there, there you go. Then that that obviously wipes it out. I, yeah, I, I'd forgotten that uh, most of the proposals, uh, I guess all, don't even have fans. So there you go. It's 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 out. So if you were having some trepidation with Bregman, it's alleviated. So where, where do you go here between these two? Because um, you're getting more of the power, runs Ribby's average from Bregman, and you get the bigger speed component from Tatis. Now, he offers pop as well and even batting average last year, though I will say the batting average is probably the one thing that's suspect on him because of that massive BABIP, even though Tatis does have factors in his game that are conducive to a high BABIP, you still have to regress the average. So where, where do you come out here? And I can't let, I'm not let you go, letting you go on team construction because it's your second pick. So you won't really have anything. Even if you get Trey Turner, you could still take Tatis and, and then you're, you're kind of set 
with speed at that point. But where do you go between these two, Tatis Jr. and Bregman? Uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna let me ride the fence on team construction, but I will oh, ride I will ride the fence on uh, on league construction. Oh, okay, uh, okay. Because if I'm playing something with an overall component, uh, give me give me uh, Bregman. I want the okay. batting average. I want that cushion, uh, especially in you know a shortened season where there's going to be some some variance. Uh, and while we we talk about the positive aspects of that, you know, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about that with some guys on those lists where, you know, or or I mentioned, you know, Joey Gallo could you know you know have a good average for 50 games or 80 games. By the way, I don't know if you looked at the 50 game leaderboard or 50 game ish. Um, or if you're just bringing up Gallo kind of perfectly uh, out of nowhere, he was like fourth in WOBA at, at, at around the 50 game mark. Obviously, there's no mm-hmm. perfect mark where everyone's played 50 games. Yeah. But if you if you generally kind of look at it, he was he was up there uh, fifth in WOBA, 15 homers, uh, which was eyeballing it probably like tied for fifth or sixth had six steals he was beasting so yeah to, to your point he I, could really go off i didn't know that but i mean i just using him as the example because we've seen him pop you know a 200 batting average and see him top pop you know 260 batting averages mm-hmm. uh and you know who knows but in in an overall in an overall league I, i'm gonna take the guy with i think the safer batting average floor uh and i I think you can still get the stolen bases, obviously, you know, in the second round, third round, fourth round, or, or, or your even first later. Round. Oh, yeah. You could, you could have already drafted some mm-hmm. by the time you get there. And I like what you said. I actually like that because I thought you were going to say in an overall, you'd go for the, uh, the, the, the volatility of like, well, Tatis could go the equivalent of 30-30 over the course of X number, whatever game count we get. I I think too much is being made of like, the volatile guys are worth drafting because they could go off. Yeah, they could also be terrible. Yeah, they they could and, sink you. Like it's yeah. <laughs> and like, what if his BABIP runs the opposite way mm-hmm. for those fifty? Or anybody obviously could, but but you know, as far as Tatis goes, I agree with you that if I am talking overall, give me the guy who I think has this one of the strongest floors in the game, and that's Bregman. Yeah, and I I mean, as much as I do love. Uh, Tatis and I, I have shares of Tatis already, and don't have mm-hmm. any shares of Bregman that I can think of. Uh, I, I just think that there, you know, in an overall component, I'm probably going to go after Bregman. Now, in a, you know, a, a standalone league, I might, you know, be more, much more willing to punt batting average, or at least devalue yeah. it quite a bit. And in that case, you know, give me the guy who I think can, you know, steal, you know. Double digit bases in categories, yeah, out the yin yang, and then and then could still spike a good batting average. Mm -hmm. Could so, So, um, yeah, that's that's a it's a fun battle there. I'm glad you brought it up because I do see it as you know, kind of the uh, the super volatile guy versus again, one of the steadiest floors in the game. Because look, you, I agree, he benefited from the uh, the the trash can banging and stuff, and it it likely generated that high of a walk rate to where Bregman was walking more than he struck out. But I don't think that the absence of that is going to turn him into like a 4% walk rate and, and and like a, you know, 20% strike. I don't think his profile is going to go completely off the rails. I think at, at worst it would look a bit like 2017 
16% strikeouts, 9% walks for Bregman. And he still hit 284. So I'm with you there. He doesn't run, but everything else is good. I mean, he went from 17 to 10 to 5. It's not a major part of his game. It's not a major part of Houston's game. And that's why Bregman doesn't run much either. I'm leaning Bregman. That being said, though, we don't know what it's going to be like this year with Dusty Baker. That's, that's a great call. And what if what if it is like, you know, 65, 70 games and teams start to say, you know, we're going to get a little loose with it. And, you know, we're going to we're going to play our game, but also we're going to mix in a, a speed component to try to manufacture more runs and 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 get ahead and get guys in in scoring position because we have smart base runners who can do it. I don't know. And I don't know that Bregman would be the beneficiary there, but I do think that that the volatility of, of the small season could also breed some craziness stolen base wise. Maybe some teams tone it down and say, we're not going to run at all because we don't want to give away any games on the bases. And other teams say, you know what, we're going to we're going to add to this volatility and we're going to we're going to run, uh, turn our running component up. And you bring up Dusty Baker, a new manager who could really uh, change the game for them. So. I like that. I like that battle there. Anything else to say on Tatis versus Bregman? Okay, going on to our next one here then. We've got our pitcher one, and these two have been have been matched up, and I, I think it's still a, a great talking point, particularly now that this other one is healthy. Um, with Mike Clevenger fully healthy, battling teammate Shane Bieber, I think it's a fun battle. And I'll be honest, I'll, I'll, I will fence it a little bit. I, I really don't think there's a wrong answer here. But we are both going to commit to a pick here. Who do you like better, a healthy Clevenger or an already healthy and, and continued healthy uh, Bregman? Or <laughs> Bregman? Beaver, excuse me. I'll take the hitter. Uh, okay, okay. I think I'm going to take the healthy Mike Clevenger. Okay. Uh, and I think the difference for me is the strikeouts. Uh, get Just getting... You know, all things being equal, shortened season, we're we're projecting that they're probably going to have the same number or close to the same number of innings, uh, and I'll take just that strikeout bump from from Mike Clevenger uh, over Bieber. Not, not saying I dislike Bieber uh, at all, but he's just lower on the list uh, of those kind of upper tier pitchers for me. I I totally agree here on um, on going with Clev Dog. My rankings don't currently reflect it. Keep in mind those last time. When they were out, Club Dog was going to have some time missed, and so I haven't done any sort of uh, quarantine updates. Once we get a plan in place, there'll be an update of the pitcher rankings. I don't want to say immediately, but very close. You know, if they say on a, like a Tuesday afternoon at five, they say we have a plan by Wednesday the next the next afternoon. I'll have a set out. But I had Clevenger, you know, eighteen, Bieber nine, healthy Club Dog moves up to eight, and it's right ahead of Bieber. I love I love Clevenger. I had him I had him very high early on, kind of putting my flag on Clev Dog. As many were, by the way. This is not a not, not trying to get some shine like I was the guy on Clevenger, but I was very much in the Clevenger camp, and I'm ready to get back in now that he's fully healthy and ready to go. So I'm, I'm taking Clev Dog here without a doubt. Love Bieber. I'd actually could envision a scenario where I get elite hitter in the first, and then those two in the second and third rounds. Um, to really start my pitching, but if I'm only taking one, it's Clev Dog. Anything else to say on these two, or have we pretty much sealed it up that we love Clevenger? Yeah, I, I think we sealed it up. Another pitching battle here that I really like, Lucas versus Luis, Giolito versus Castillo. There's another one where you got me hemmed up, that's because I really like the, the, 
both of them. So I'm having to make a split on two guys I really like. Give me the floor here between Castillo and, and Giolito. Where do you go? Oh, this is a hard one for me because coming this season, I had Castillo, or coming into the draft season, I had Castillo considerably higher than uh, Giolito, and I think I'm flip-flopping him for all the reasons oh. we discussed uh, in the last podcast. I mean, Castillo no longer gets to face the, uh, the pitcher. Um, they are pitching in Great America Ballpark. Uh, I think... And, and I mean, I just love what Giolito did last season. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily know that I want either is my first starting pitcher, but definitely if I'm, you know, double tapping on pitchers in the first four to five rounds, I think I'm going to take Giolito uh, if, if I have the shot. I can understand that. Um, I, I, I disagree a little bit on not necessarily wanting them as my top guy. I'm, I'm actually fine with that. Um, I actually disagree on both points. I, I, I'm taking Castillo, but I think it's really, I think it's really close and they will be closer again, current ranking 11, 17 for Castillo, Giolito respectively, but no, no pitchers batting. will move these NL guys down a few, few ticks. And I think they'll end up being neck and neck at like 15, 16 or 16, seven because Thor is uh, 16 right now. He gets, kicked so Giolito automatically moves up so yeah I think they're going to be somewhere in the 14 to 17 range back to back but I am going to lean Castillo still I think I think his breakout that that we that we really saw come through last year you know kind of put it all together after showing glimpses uh, in both 17 and 18 17 for 89 innings and then a half second half of 2018 but I think we've seen a more refined pitcher now I don't think Giolito's Going back to the crapper, I think he's still going to be very good. That's why I'm going to have him right there. But I still, you know, I'm still wanting to make sure that this is fully real here. And he did still have a bit of a home run issue. Now he's going to be adding NL Central teams, which is not a gauntlet. There are some tough ones. But he does still have his own AL Central there. Yeah, I... I'm going to stick with Castillo above him. He is going to lose points for not facing pitchers anymore, but not so many that Giolito leapfrogs him. But I will have them back-to-back. But but push come to shove, make me pick a guy, I'm picking Castillo. I wouldn't mind pairing them, actually. (laughs) That'd be great. You talk about, you know, you didn't want necessarily to have them as your number one, but if you take them as your one-two real quick, in lieu of a uh, Scherzer, Verlander, DeGrom at the head, I really like that. I, I would I think you're getting a crap ton of K's, some high win probability. I think you come out of that feeling pretty good if you take those two because that's gonna be what? Fourth, fifth round? Or third, fourth? Third, fourth, I think. Third, fourth. But you're gonna have two hitters on, on board. Yeah, I mean you, you have if you can everything. start like Lindor and then get uh like uh Harper. Maybe okay. Marti- yeah, yeah, JD yeah. Martinez, and then start, and and then go Castillo Giolito. Like that's a pretty sick ass start. That would be, that would be incredible. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be really nice. You you would not have to twist my arm even one percent to get me to want to take uh, Castillo and Giolito as as a one two punch. I would I would love that after collecting two hitters. 
to lay the foundation for the club. So could see ourselves doing that. If we are picking one, though, we're diverging. You're going Giolito. I'm going Castillo. Let's move on to our next battle here. This is a really sharp one. I like this one a lot. Charlie Blackman. Old steady Eddie. We know what he's going to do. He's in Colorado. And uh, all the proposals that we've seen lately have put teams in their home parks. So feel comfortable about that if you already drafted and you drafted a bunch of Colorado guys or if you like to stock up on Rockies. Uh, but but Blackman against Eloy Jimenez, which is a much tighter battle than I think people would realize because Blackman's not necessarily running much anymore. So they are two, you know, power guys. Both play in great parks, although one plays in the best park. I don't want to pretend that it's close on on the parks there. But uh, both are in strong lineups. Where do you go? The uh, the up-and-comer who quietly popped 31 homers last year or the, the super steady Bregman who, or uh, Blackman? Why do I want to keep adding Bregman to all of these? <laughs> Jesus. He's or in, he's in steady, your head. He just living rent-free mm-hmm. up here. Jeez. Or the uh, super steady Blackman who, again, while the steals have evaporated, he was down to two last year and seven tries. He's still a premium, premium fantasy player because of everything else that he does. Which way you go? Oh, man, th- this is really tough for me because when I first put this list together, I thought, oh, like, there- there's no way I'm going to take Eloy in this. Um, but the more I look at it, the more I go, I think I'm leaning Eloy. I mean, look at his second half numbers, 15 home runs, 292. Like, that is, that, that, that's pretty much like the same kind of numbers that, uh, that Blackman typically provides, and there's mm-hmm. obviously room for growth on Eloy. Exactly. And that's the hard part. The like I said, he quietly popped 31. If you didn't have him on your team, you might not have even realized yeah. that how well he did last year because he rallied. He got hurt. He was he was sputtering early, mm-hmm. uh, Eloy was, then got hurt, then comes back, puts up this brilliant second half that uh, that goes under the radar a bit, and winds up with with one homer shy of what uh, uh, Blackman did in 130 fewer plate appearances. Now his counting categories, particularly the run difference from 112 to 69, which is nice, um, it is large. But I think if they're playing an equal number of games, it's much closer this year because Jimenez, I think, is going to be better, and uh, the volume will be. You know, if if we're we're not projecting injury for either of them, so if we're putting them neck and neck in in volume. I think the run totals are much closer this year, uh, while the RBI totals already were last year. So yeah, I mean, I think especially when you count in the almost round difference in terms of ADP over the last you know two months, uh, I, I think you gotta go, you, you gotta go Eloy. Again, I'm not like I I still think Blackman is a bit underrated and mm-hmm. sometimes dry. I mean, we've his max pick over the last two months is 73. Like that is outrageous to me. I love that. And this is another one where I would take both guys, but I'm not saying that defense it. I'm making a pick and I am, I am going to prefer Eloy because he is cheaper. Doesn't mean I wouldn't gladly put Blackman, especially if I'm, I'm coming into that area of the draft that that sixties area. So round five ish in a, uh, in, in a 12 teamer. And I only, I don't have any outfielders, you know, say my infield and pitching is really getting going. If you go Blackman Jimenez to open your outfield, I think you're looking solid. But 
I do want I do favor Jimenez here because I do think there's some real growth. Whereas Blackman, I think is either going to hold steady, which is still a very great player, or continue to trickle down even a little bit more. All right, that's uh, that's that one there with uh, Blackman versus Jimenez. Let's go back to the rubber. Talk about Aaron Nola versus Tyler Glass. Now you got real disparate situations here, both with the profile, with what they've proven, um, but. The hype is definitely leaning toward Glass now, as Nola's already kind of settled into a little bit of a boring, a boring fantasy ace, where people are kind of like, okay, I'll take. Like that, he still has his proponents who really, really, really love him, but the the hype isn't there with with Nola. He's almost begrudgingly taken as like, fine, I'll take this guy with back to back two hundred inning seasons of quality work as my ace, ho hum. Whereas people get gassed to take Glass now because he's shiny new toy where do you go between these two and what 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 is their adp difference do you have it handy oh let's see nola is currently going at pick 60 uh and glass now is going at 65 okay so these are very close you're taking one or the other unless you're on the elbow you're probably not probably not pairing them in most drafts yeah i i think i lean nola in um in deeper leagues so if you're playing in 15 team leagues uh, or deeper, I'm definitely I'm going Nola. I just feel like there's some guaranteed production, and while the I mean upside, you know, in ten and twelve team formats pushes me towards Glass now. Like I, I know people are like, well, he's healthy now. We we don't know. Like we really just don't know with Glass now. He could be great, uh, or he could be absolute. You know, he could get hurt after you know ten innings and. All of a sudden, uh, yeah, that you you just wasted your fourth or fifth round pick. Um, and if I'm playing in a high stakes league, if I'm playing in a 15 team league, I'm probably gonna just you know go to Nola, who is safer and I mean is a season removed from a two uh, two thirty seven ERA over 212 innings. Like I, I just I understand that he's somehow has become the boring pick. But, uh, I mean, there's plenty of guys in the high-stakes leagues that have done really, really well by going back to the well on players like Nola, who have been downgraded for a quote-unquote down season when it really wasn't that down. Yep. Yep. You you know this is one of my things of, of pushing back when people call something a down season. Like Mookie Betts had a down season last year. Get the frick out of here with that crap. You know, yeah, his ERA went up from 237 to 387. That, that, that is a jump. But 387-127 ERA whip combo for 202 innings with a 27% strikeout rate is still very, 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 very good. Uh, and that's exactly what uh, what Nola did last year. I have them back-to-back um, with Glass now ahead. So I'll stick with my ranking. But when they're, when they're already back-to-back, like, I, I you know, this is it's not an anti-Nola thing. But I do have Glass now. I've come around on Glass now. I said, you know, whenever I was anti, it was like, show me something. Show me something more than, than you know, a good start. And even last year, it's not like the volume was so high that I, I find no issues with him anymore. But he's clearly made advancements. If you just, particularly if you just look at his Tampa Bay work, I'd be foolish not to recognize that those 115 innings have shown some real growth with regards to the walk rate. Uh, for Glass now, and we know how electric his stuff is. That was prevalent even with Pittsburgh. 
Um, so I, I do like him. I've got him one spot ahead, and uh, I, I would happily take him. I'm not fading Nola, though. This is another pairing. i, I got to be honest. If I waited even a bit more, oh, I, I guess, never mind, they're going around Castillo, but that, that same Castillo-Giolito thing, I'd happily pair them as my first two guys. Um, if, if, if I was in a situation where it fit very well, I'd have no problem taking the the, stat, the, the solid innings guy with the flashy upside guy. I, I, I would I would like that. Um, all right, anything else to say on Glass now versus Nola? Uh, you know, I, I think both these guys are two guys I probably won't get many more shares of. I, I do have shares of each already. I do worry about them playing in that Super East. Uh, you know, yeah, having yeah, the, the beast, go, yeah, as, we call, as we've called it. Yeah. So like, uh, while I do lean Nola, like I said, in deeper formats, high stakes leagues and lean glass now in the shallower formats, um, it's unlikely I'm going to get another share unless one drops. And if one drops, it's going to be Nola. Yeah. A hundred percent. You're a hundred percent right there. You are just not finding yourself in any rooms these days where people, um, where, where where the whole group of 12 or 15 is fading glass now to push him down. I, I haven't seen it. Maybe some of y'all have been in the league, in which case I hope you took advantage, because even if you don't love him, if his price drops, you, you should jump. But the, the vast majority of leagues are going to have at least one mega believer, if not four, five, or six. So, all right, that's glass now. No, let's go to the outfield for a pair here. We've got uh, we, we've got back-to-back ones. This one is great, because you've gone with remarkably disparate profiles, but again, we're not... We're not allowing team context to be the driving force here, because I do think by the time these two are taken, yeah, you you could you could be leaning one way or the other. Where it's obvious you take one over the other, but for the most part, you're still laying foundational stuff. These are still high impact guys in this round range where you're taking Victor Robles versus Nelson Cruz. I think it's a great battle between these two. Obviously, there's the speed profile versus the power. Uh, Robles is going around pick uh, 65-ish, and Cruz, let me see, got to get UT, around pick 80. So he does go cheaper because of that UT UT only bias and age bias. He's got the double bias working against him. Um, so the discount might drive you there, but let's, uh, let's not lean solely on discount. Let's talk specifically about these profiles here. Who do you want to buy more between Victor Robles and Nelson Cruz, just generally speaking, if your team is kind of balanced going into that area of the draft. It's Nelson Cruz, and I don't think it's particularly close. And it's not that I don't like Victor Robles, and I don't already have a ton of shares of Victor Robles, but Victor Cruz, or uh, Nelson Cruz, <laughs> Victor Cruz, uh, moving on to rest, football or Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. <laughs> his body. Yeah. Um, so uh, Nelson Cruz was like a top 10 hitter in fantasy last year. A monster. And now you're telling me in a season that's shortened where it's much less likely to uh, to break down because uh, he's not playing a huge amount of games uh, that you're going to get him as late as he's going? Sign and, me up. And throw in that um, games in NL parks now have a DH. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have those little those those little times that he sits. And and you know a three game set he'll maybe start one and and pinch hit the other two or maybe start none and just get three pinch hit at bats during a series in you know at nl park du jour so that helps with Cruz as well i'm with you here i'm actually very pro robles 
Um, you know, I understand the, the, the contact stuff. I think with, because it's the first thing people bring up, his exit velo. That's who he was in 19. And it matters, but he's going to be 23 this year. This, uh, this idea that he can't grow out of that at all and that, that he's just this contact, this exit velo from 2020 or 2019, excuse me, I don't buy it. And I think it's being leaned on way too heavily. Plus, he still hit 17 homers with it. Yeah. I mean, even if, if, he, if he gets just like natural progression from getting yes. – older and you know maybe a little bit stronger like he could be a monster like we're, yes. we're, we're not gonna let like a former top prospect in or we're not gonna give credit that a former top prospect in baseball can't improve his plate skills no growth no yeah. growth potential here like and and again you know this is not it's it's been an industry-wide thing so i'm not calling on anybody individually but every time i and it, it, it part of it comes is that i'm pro robles so i kind of like I'm always thinking about the other side, but it, it seems like that's the only knock that I hear. Okay, he did not crush the ball last year. There are no two ways around it when you're looking at the numbers. But do we believe that that's all he is? I do not. I do not believe that he's set in stone at age 22 going into his age 23 season for Victor Robles. So I still really like him, but I'm with you on the on the cruise love. Um, I would love, again, I would love to pair both, but if you're putting me yeah. down on one, give me Cruz, even at the same cost. Even if you bring Cruz's cost right up to Robles and you say that you have to pick one of them at pick 65, I'll still take Cruz. I'll take Robles, the very next pick, but Cruz, man. And I know Rob Silver is uh, happy. Uh, his his Cruz screeds, I would just sit there and nod whenever he goes off on, on the ADP of Cruz. First off, it's a total joke. That the how much people get nervous about putting a UT only early in the draft. You don't have dexterity to work around that. Come on, it's yeah. You know. I mean, it's it's especially with the amount of players that have got multi positional eligibility. Uh, Plus, this is David Ortiz all over again, and and, and worse because David Ortiz was still a, being drafted as a top fifty player, whereas Nelson Cruz is, you know, I mean, is like ADP of like seventy something. Like it's just it, you're it's, right. It's just a huge buying opportunity. It's the exact same thing. I totally agree, and I'm I'm fully in on it. And um, you know, plus the overwhelming majority of leagues have a reserve roster where because the thing about keeping the UT open that people like is well, what if so and so at whatever position it falls in the draft and I don't have anywhere to put them because I have first and corner filled and and I don't have the UT to put them. Can you not just take them and put them on reserve and figure it out? If the talent is that vast, if this buying opportunity for so-and-so is so good, I just think leaving the UT open is overblown. There's so much. I did a posi- I did an article yesterday and just made a team of position, multi-eligible position players, um, highlighting one at each position that I really liked, and then some also considers. And I ran the gamut. It wasn't just like you know Cody Bellinger types, guys in the first round. It went from... As high as that to as low as like Nico Goodrum and and Jose Peraza. There's so much positional flexibility out there that blocking off your UT early with an elite player should not be a draft problem. Like that should that should never be your deterrent. Is that I don't want to block UT 
uh, so I can't take Cruz. Especially when you've got Jordan Alvarez going 20 picks earlier. It makes no sense to me. Makes no sense. I know he's younger. Still makes no sense to me. I don't. The, the age alone does not cover it for me. I'm not with it. All right, that's that's a great battle there. I like that you did that one because those profiles are so disparate. Now let's stay in the outfield. Talk about Lou Bob, Luis Robert versus Tommy Pham. Got the up and comer versus an established guy. Profiles are similar. Power speed. Uh, you're you're kind of expecting. I would think pretty similar outputs from the two. But who do you prefer, and and where where do you go here between between Fam and Robert? Oh, this is tough because I think you've got, you've obviously got the huge upside from Luis Robert, uh, but obviously the the downside that we really don't know what we're gonna get in terms yeah. of him, you know, being a rookie. It's a it's a short a shortened season could really benefit him in terms of well if he gets off hard uh, in a hot. Pitchers may not have the time to, you know, find those holes in his swing. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, he could do the exact opposite, and so he gets off terribly, <laughs> striking out left and right. Mm-hmm. There's no time to make, you know, there's no time uh, for him to go. Eloy Jimenez, mm-hmm. right? It's... Who started off slow and, and had to turn it around. Yep, it's that's the exact, you know, uh, analogy I was going to make. Is you know, if we had cut off. Uh, Luis Menez's season at you know halfway point, we'd be looking at a guy who hit like 240, um, so or 250, something like that. Uh, that being said, I mean, Fam isn't that much safer with his injury history. He was injured in spring training, um, you know, he he looked pretty bad in terms of just uh, you know, his hitting in spring training, he hit, he hit 190, <laughs> so um. <laughs> I think I'm going to lean Robert for the upside, uh, okay. but just know that I've got to bake in the probability that Robert isn't as good as I want him to be. Like, you know, you've got to bake in kind of that variance. Yeah, you, you got to be mindful of where it can go wrong on that one. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Fam. Um, I'm, I'm really... Like, Fam just kind of gets it done. And last year, you know, injuries have have definitely impacted his uh, career without a doubt. We we know that Uh, last year he played through them even more. So I I feel like he's playing through something every year. Like his body is, is betraying him as as much as it can. Um, You know, obviously the eyes are, are constant, a constant uh, concern there with the, the degenerative condition. Uh, But then even, Things here and there, just little bumps and bruises, and even even bigger than bumps and bruises, you know, falling ball off his foot, breaking a toe, stuff like that. Didn't he have a UCL problem? I believe too? so. Yeah. Uh, you know, he would like again. There was always something going on. He busted through it last year and got the job done. I've got a pretty big split on these two. I, I have a lot more concern for Robert than the general community. I know he had a massive season last year, and it was awesome. And I hope he hits the ground running, but I'm not paying for it. And right now, I have to pay for uh, what the price I have to pay says he has to get off to a fast career start. And I don't know that that's going to happen with the strikeout rates that that we see out of him. And I don't know what that adjustment's going to be like, and and if he's going to ride a massive BABIP, you know, for the first 20 games of his career, which will be 
the first third of it if we're only getting like 60 games uh, the, fir- the, the first third of his first season. But I don't know, man. I see 25% strikeout with a 5% walk. That's a very volatile profile. I love the power speed, but I'm backing off a little bit this year on the premium for Luis Robert, and I'm going Tommy Pham here. All right, next up, we have Jose Barrios versus Trevor Bauer. I, I'm i very eager to hear your, your take on this one, so I will give you the floor, good sir. Yeah, this is another one for me where it's it's not particularly close. It's Barrios. Okay, thank you. I thought when you said that you were going to go Bauer for some reason. No, I just, I mean, the, the guy is a horse. Um, and I, Brios I, is, yeah. Yeah, and there's just, like, he, he, he went from being, like, the top pitching prospect in all of baseball, the prospect everybody was super excited about, to somehow being portrayed as just this boring guy. Uh, with no upside with no upside yeah 26 years old and just turned 26 like six days ago um Mm -hmm. like and i mean a guy who just is nasty when he's on and when he's off he's not bad like that those are the type of pitchers i want as my sp2s uh and so like if you're not like you know double tapping pitching like in the first four rounds and you want to wait on a guy like Jose Barrios, like, I love that strategy. Um, like, it's just, you know, you know, pair him, like, late, in a, you know, late, what is, uh, just fifth, sixth round in a 15-team league with Brandon Woodruff, and I'm feeling like I've got a pretty good start to, you know, with a, ma- you know, massive lead in offense, and these two guys, uh, you know, one with, you know, a really safe floor, one with a really high ceiling, uh, and I'm feeling like I'm good to go. I'm really not just going to repackage and reiterate what you said with different words because I, I completely agree here. I'll say a little bit about Bauer and uh, and my concerns for him. You know, I've I've done my little thing of right-handed uh, Robbie Ray with with more volume. You know, there's a little extra disclaimer on there that he has stayed healthier, so he's a healthier right-handed Robbie Ray. But he has the one great season, and that's it. He's never been below a four ERA beyond that, and it's not like He's Joe Musgrove, who puts up low four ZRAs, but um, but puts up good whips. No, the whips are often much worse uh, and a much bigger problem for Bauer. So at this point for me, it's just like, sh- show me something um, to really get me to, to buy into you at this high end. Barrios has shown that, and he's just consistently been really, really solid, um, you know, ERAs of 389, 384, 368, slowly trickling down. I would not be surprised by a low th- three ZRA season, even a sub three. I, I really want it. I do think there's potential growth here for Barrios to refine his pitches a bit more. It's not out of the question that he could add something to and really change his game. You know, aces rarely develop off rip. You know, Jose Fernandez, that that's that's such a such a unicorn type thing. That doesn't happen very often. The, the 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 route to becoming an ace usually has some ups and downs till your mid twenties. Then you really establish yourself. I mean, look at the path of the guys who are currently our our big aces. So I do not uh, subscribe to this notion that Barrios is devoid of of true massive upside just because it's not standing right there in the numbers that he can do this, that, and the other because his profile has been solid. So I'm with you there. 
and uh, I've already made my my points known about why I'm not super keen on Bauer. So we'll close the book on that one. Barrios versus Bauer. We're both heavily in the Barrios camp. Let's go back to the uh, position players for our last few here. Let's start with Castellanos, Nick Castellanos versus Marcelo Zuna. Boy, you know, if some one of the teams that's definitely pulling for a season is the Reds because, um, you know, all the moves they made this year. And I believe he's got multiple opt-outs. Can he opt out after this first year here, Castellanos? I don't believe so. Okay, so after the second year. but I Because I know that they got him on this deal, and, and there are uh, – no, he can opt out after 2021, 2020 and 2021. Wow. I don't think he will. I don't think he will either. <laughs> like, if they uh, didn't have a season um, – Unless I, he I hits 30 home runs in 80 games – well, uh, I'm saying like even if they didn't have a season, I don't think yeah. they'd get nothing from him. I think you know he's very excited to be with the Reds. They have a great thing going. Um, but between picking these two here, I am going with Castellanos. By the way, I'm obsessed with that Reds team. Uh, don't get me wrong, Ozuna's going to a very solid Atlanta club. I think he'll be a solid. I think he's just going to be a steady, solid self. But uh, I think Castellanos. I think there's more in the tank here than what we've seen, and we saw a great season last year. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, downplay what he did last year, particularly when he went to the Cubs and really took off. That gave a real big, you know, check mark in the box of of some of the intangible stuff of what attitude can do and and getting out of a situation that you're really not happy in and getting into a great situation. I think the Reds will be a good situation for Castellanos. I'm going with him, actually, kind of easily. And again, it's more pro Castellanos than it is anything anti Ozuna. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Uh, you know, it's it's weird to me that um, I, I think Castiano just has the safer floor. I mean, he's had uh, three straight seasons of at least 151 games played and 665 played appearances. Uh, his batting averages have been, you know, from decent to pretty damn good over the course of those three years. He's moving to Great America Ballpark which is a great place to hit, uh, you know, especially this year in which they're adding the DH to the National League and, and likely moving forward, uh, you know, his defense probably won't hurt as much inside of Great America Ballpark to begin with, uh, and yeah. then you can also DH him. Yeah, I really like Cassianos, and not that I dislike Ozuna. Um, I think he gets unfairly painted as a, as a boring-ish uh, player. I do think his... Uh, uh, his batting average will rebound kind of back to that 275, 280 uh, mark, hit 30, you know, 30 home it's runs. It's all on the shoulder, yeah. right? Like, that, but, that's yeah. the thing. Like, we never know. You know, he plays through it at times. He did play 148 and 130 the last two years, so he had some missed time. But I think even when he was playing last year, the shoulder was bothering Ozuna for portions of that, and that really sapped his ability. Now, he still went 29-89 with 12 surprise steals. Don't bank on that at all. But for 130 games, that's really good for Ozuna. But he hit 241. That was an issue. Like I said, going to Atlanta, solid. We both agree. This is more pro-Castellanos than anti-Ozuna. But we are going Castellanos pretty pretty decidedly here, yeah. All right, let's move on to our next one. I love this one. Um, because these teammates, oh, this lineup, dude. Mm-hmm. Have fun, central pitchers, going to Minnesota or or hosting them. Josh Donaldson, the newcomer to the Twins versus Miguel Sano, the uh, the the um, the mainstay on that club the last few years. 
only played 105 games last year and still popped 34 homers. Donaldson played 155, 50 more games and hit 37. So Donaldson had a great year. Everyone loved it. Sano had an amazing year with what he was able to compact into his 105 games. If we could ever just get him healthy, how great could it be? I know you're a big snow guy because he fits right into your profile of punting average and, and you know just going for the overwhelming skills, and this happens to be power skill. But where do you go between these two, Donaldson and Miguel Sano? Oh, it's hard because, like you said, I, I am a Sano guy, but I'm going Donaldson here. I just think you have the better chance to get uh, more games. Uh, I think you have the better chance to get more runs and RBIs because he's going to be hitting fourth in this lineup, and Sano is likely going to be hitting like seventh or eighth, something like that. Uh, How crazy that they could legitimately bat him eighth. Yeah, and they probably will. I mean, like, uh, crazy. You know, I, I think he easily could get moved up to like sure. the sixth spot. You know, if Mitch Garver struggles, comes back down to earth a little bit, like they, then they bat him behind Rosario uh, at, at, in the sixth spot. But that being said, like, you could also see a scenario, like we've talked about with a lot of other streaky players, where Sano is like the best hitter in baseball for a 50 game or 80 game sample or the absolute worst hitter in baseball. Yeah, and that's a lot of runs. yeah, that's a lot of volatility for 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 Miguel Sano, and uh, like it's not like you're like pivoting to some sort of schlub in Josh Donaldson. I mean, this is a former MVP who hit 37 home runs last year, uh, and is like I said, going to be hitting fourth in that lineup. Uh, yeah, give me Sano, or sorry, yeah, give me Donaldson. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on the Donaldson pick. And I've started to come around and say no. I used to be pretty anti Sano because I'm like, again, it was a, it was a show me something. Well, he showed me something, and so you know, if that if that's what I'm asking of somebody and they show it, then it, it in fairness, I have to then reassess. And I have reassessed. I've moved Sano up my board um, in light of what he did last year and, and really uh, understanding what he can do. And and boy. Again, I just I hope we could get some health out of Sano. But I love Donaldson. I'm 100% with you there. The heart of that order. I think the batting lineup spot uh, as a uh, as a decider there is very key. And I think you hit on that early because that is a big point to drive home. And that's why I'll take Donaldson as well. Uh, we've got one more. So I think it's going to work out. We have kind of a soft stop, not a hard out. But uh, this will be perfect to finish up. These two beasts is just which central beast do you want here? Jorge Soler versus Fran Mill Reyes. There isn't a ton different in terms of just the raw profile of go mash the hell out of the ball. Um, but the camps have developed. There's people who are really adamant about one over the other. Do you have, do you share that adamance for one over the other? I do. And it's opposite, I think, of where most people go. And it give me Jorge Soler. Yeah, that, I figured when you, once you said opposite of where most people go. Let's also do this. Let's say that uh, the ADPs will coalesce a little bit. Right now it's 95 for Soler, 111 for Reyes. I do think in a lot of drafts, once we get a season locked in, I think they're going to be closer. But even that's not too much of a difference to where I think you would totally flip your decision there. So talk to us about why you're picking Soler, because I agree most people are, are leaning Reyes. Yeah, I... I understand why people are leading Reyes. One, he's just a super fun player to watch, and he's kind of burst onto the scene. Uh, 
but I think there's also maybe some short-term memory issues <laughs> going on with uh, Jorge Soler. Like, he was supposed to be this superstar. Um, he walks at a double-digit rate. Uh, like, he, like, in spite of playing on that uh, Kansas City Royals team, which is not great offensively, he still logged 117 runs batted in and 95 runs scored. Hit 265. Like, what we are hoping from Fran Mel Reyes is to be what Jorge Soler was. Exactly. We've we've already seen what we think his the, the the peak can be for it, right? Like you can't be projecting anything higher than that. So I'm I'm with you here. Um and I love Fran Mill and I'm definitely buying him. And you know, I'll, I'll repeat a popular refrain here. I would pair these two, even though they are similar. Uh, just to get a, a a massive infusion of power in that pick 100 range, I would not have any issue tapping these two back to back. But if I'm only picking one, it is Soler because I fully agree with you. He already did. He already did what we want Reyes to be able to do. And um, like you said, his pedigree, his profile was substantial. By the way, this is another check mark in in being careful about tabbing guys as injury prone versus simply having dealt with injuries because Ray, uh, Soler played 162 last year and, you know, going into 19, you know, you could hear, you could easily uh, envision people saying, well, the one thing I can tell you is that Soler won't play 162 games. That's the one thing I know for sure because of his track record. And then he goes out and does it. So, you know, locking guys into a certain, uh, health profile and limiting their potential games played too early in a career can, can be dangerous. But uh, he really started to break out in 18 as well, by the way, Solaire. It's just that injury did cut it short. He only played 61 games, but then puts up an amazing season last year. Again, you find me pro Reyes on a lot of things, but not here. I, I, I like the guy who's already done it. I think they're going to have similar seasons, but I'll pay a little bit extra there. I will pay that extra round cost for the stability of taking the guy who's who's been there, done that for the full season with Jorge Soler. Yep. What about uh, this one real quick, just as a, a supplemental one, because Ooh. he ends up going closer. No, it's not, it's not special because it's just oh. <laughs> piggybacking off of this. Uh, Reyes versus Schwarber. Now, Reyes is the more expensive one at this point, and Schwarber is the cheaper. Do you go with the more expensive guy, or do you go the cheaper guy here? I think... Had we gone into the season like regularly, I would have leaned Reyes uh, just because of the defensive issues of Schwarber. That being said, we're now we've got a DH in the National League, uh, so if his defense does become an issue, they'll just put him at DH. And so I think now you have to really bump Schwarber up. At least I'm really bumping Schwarber up my ranks. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm with you there. I love these two. Um, I see these two as 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 pretty much linked. I think once one goes, the other should go. I have Schwarber two spots ahead. It goes Schwarber, J.D. Davis, Fernando Reyes. They're they're all kind of the same, and Solera a handful of, of ranks ahead of them. There's a real power alley in my uh, in my outfield ranks from like Marcelo Zuna to uh, well Trey Mancini before before his health issue. With uh, with Kepler and Soler, just all these power guys. But I'll go Schwarber. He's averaging 35 homers per 600 plate appearances the last three seasons. Obviously, he's not going to have 600 plate appearances. Dude's a monster. 
They can get him off the field here and there with the DH. Again, I love – it's funny. I'm, I'm saying I love Reyes, and I'm not taking him in either of these battles. But I do think this one does come down a little bit to cost, though, too, because it is a 25-pick difference, a round plus at that point. I will lean on the cost difference. Now, if they're if they're neck and neck, I'm still leaning Schwarber. It's not as decisive. I, I could basically coin flip at that point. But if you are giving me one cheaper, how would I not just take, again, the guy who's been doing it longer – at, at the levels that we expect Reyes to do, right? So I'll go Schwarber there. Let's also not forget that Joe Madden is no longer the manager and the crazy double switches, you know, probably were going to be out anyways with uh, the DH coming to the National League. But now you add in the fact that you don't have to worry about kind of the weird lineup constructions and stuff that, that Madden would do. We assume that, that Ross will be uh, much more traditional. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Um, by the way, this, this, this area here, I, I mentioned that their ADPs kind of track similarly to my rankings as far as them, them going in a cluster. This is a great spot to make up on some power if maybe you fell behind a little bit with some speed or a pitching focus in those earlier rounds. You can start to uh, start to get two out of like Gallo, Solero, Zuna, Reyes. Schwarber, uh, Kepler, a couple others, and really attack your power if you let it go a little bit. Um, this is a great spot to 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 get right, if you will. Yeah, especially so, if you've built up the the average and and uh, uh, speed early on. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, we did it. Uh, I think this was a fun one. Thank you for putting this together. I like talking about these these different type of battles, and I think there was uh, some real interesting stuff there with how. Some of the guys had similar profiles like that last one between the two power guys, while others were remarkably disparate, and yet we still had to choose because we weren't uh, giving each other the out of team construction. So this is a fun one. Thursday, I'm not sure exactly what we'll talk about, but we will update if there's any news on on a um, on an agreement. But uh, what else you got going on this week, man? Oh, let's see. I just dropped a podcast over on the TGFBI feed. I uh, did a profile with uh, Eddie Almaguer uh, of Prospects Live, uh, and Prospects Live does a lot of great uh, prospect uh, content, plus they're doing a ton of uh, MLB draft content. And so I wanted oh, to get, excellent. The yeah. draft is this week or next? Uh, the 10th, I believe. Okay, so next week. That's what I thought. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, they and I think they actually got their a lot of their videos picked up by ESPN because ESPN's doing uh, MLB draft coverage this year. Uh, oh, that's dope. More similar to their NFL draft and NBA draft coverage. So, um, you know, a uh, bunch of good guys over at Prospect Live, so give them a shout-out. Um, and then uh, I'm going to do another TGFBI episode. I'm, I'm talking with Jeff Erickson right now about doing a profile oh. with him. So uh, I haven't Good. had uh, enough kind of OGs of the fantasy industry on there yet. So if you're interested in learning kind of behind, like how people got into the industry, things like that, uh, definitely go check out the TGFBI podcast. And then, uh, yeah, I've got to write some articles here on, on Fangraphs too. So I... I'm, I'm I'm struggling for content, which I think a lot of people are in the industry. Uh, like you and I have I, had I this discussion, you. yeah, that it's like I've it's had, so hard to figure out what to write about. <laughs> I've had multiple days where I seriously stare at a blank word page, yeah, and I just I, I I just don't know. So you know, if you guys have things you'd like to see, mm-hmm. di- you know, a, a dive into or whatnot, 
it's hard because you know I, I want to do stuff that can be relevant to this year, but without knowing where everything's going, it's hard. So you know, I'm I'm open. I'm open to to things. I've got some ideas. Uh, I've percolated a few uh, over the weekend, but that that that'll run out quickly. I, I used one of them yesterday with the multi eligibility. So that I think I love multi eligibility players. And so it's something I'm already interested in. I think you really want to have it this year too because we don't really know how things are going to go with with this shortened season. Are there going to be more injuries to where guys are are you know being cycled out onto the IL more frequently? So you want to have positional flexibility to move around. I don't know. I think it's always useful. It never hurts. Not to mention, wanna... like if we are playing a bunch of double headers, either scheduled or that have to be made up because. You know, uh, there's going to be less off any days. Yeah, any weather. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, guys who were multi-positional eligible, or not necessarily multi-positional eligible, but play multiple positions for a team, have a better chance of playing in back-to-back games. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. yep. So, no, I, I, it's definitely something I favor. As long as you're not bending over backwards and, like, m- over overdoing it by taking guys two rounds ahead of their ADP just because they're position eligible, it can't hurt you. You're still just drafting a team, but it can be very useful uh, in terms of setting you up and making sure that you're able to take the best guys on the waiver wire every week because you can maneuver to get them on your team. So anyway, Justin, great talking with you, and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple days. Take it easy.